Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode of Momming Autism. We're your hosts, Amanda DeLuca and Katie MD, and we are happy to be providing a positive platform for parents to share their stories about raising special needs children. Today, we are focusing on something Katie and I are both passionate about, which is IEPs, and empowering parents to feel like an equal member of their child's IEP team. So Katie and I took questions from viewers, and tonight we are going to go ahead and answer the top four questions that came in. But before we do that, Katie, would you like to let our viewers know what your experience is and kind of your job at the IEP table? It actually is a really funny thing. I fell into doing IEPs and working with families and connecting with families and helping families just advocate their journey and be able to use their child in a situation of, you know, crisis or use their child, you know, in a situation of success and be able to use the examples of what their child is going through and be able to explain that in an IEP meeting and get, you know, the IEP meeting on a productive and also really positive path. And I fell into that position. I started off in just our province as regular mom who had a child that was on the severe end of the spectrum. I started connecting with families on social media and from there I got brought on to different caseloads with different families in different divisions in different schools and really just helping families navigate and teaching families that not everything is just given to you just because your child is diagnosed doesn't mean you just automatically get you know speech therapy and occupational therapy and all the supports and you know a one-on-one EA and really finding you know families that just teaching them teaching them how to use their voice in those IEP meetings and being able to navigate it and I sit with them before the meetings after the meetings and during the meetings and help guide them through because if we're honest those meetings are very very hard it's emotional um, no matter how many IEP through, especially when you are at the table representing your own child, taking the emotion out of advocacy has been one of my biggest struggles because hearing all of the can'ts is really hard. And that's a lot of what the IEP focuses on is what they can't do and how we're going to get them there. Yes. And that, that is something I think even over the years of me working with families and then also dealing with an IEP with my own son, Avery, it is really hard to take the emotion out. I see every single family and child that I get to connect with and work with directly, uh, being on IEP or just advocacy in general, I see them as my family. We, We have this bond and this connection and just I want their child to succeed. I want them to have everything and the best. And I want the families and the parents to feel supported, especially in those meetings and feel like when they leave that meeting and they walk out those doors, 
that's a something got accomplished and then b that they were heard absolutely and that's kind of where i fell into advocacy was i needed to understand what my rights were as a parent at the table and falling um, down the rabbit hole of google was consuming a lot of time that i didn't have and finding an advocate in our area that was available to answer my questions before the meeting, not just showing up at the meeting, wasn't available. So I decided to educate myself and take a course and take some training so that I could better serve myself, which also turned into better serving families. So I became a master IEP coach and I do the same as Katie. I meet with families before, during and after the meetings some only need the before prep and the after wrap-up some feel better having someone sit at the table with them and that's great too but learning how to help families feel more empowered at the table um, has been the best part of this journey because you don't know these things until you have to know them there isn't a guidebook given to you and the IEP process can be very um, stressful and overwhelming and it's a long journey to get through all of school with your child and you are the only IEP team member that doesn't change. So knowing that your seat at the table is very important is um, you're right as a special needs parent. So definitely. So Katie, we had questions um, come in from our viewers. So I was going to go ahead and start to read those so you and I can kind of um, get those answered for everybody. Question number one Wonderful. is how do you prepare your IEP for moving from district to district or state to state? So here in Canada, we have divisions and really in Canada, even if you're leaving, say, you live in Saskatchewan just like us and you're deciding to move your family to BC and you're moving to another province. The best advice I can give you and the most helpful is to have A, everything in writing and B, have copies, multiple copies of things. It's so important to have all of the documentation yourself and not leave it for someone else to take care of and be responsible for. You as the parent need to have all your ducks in a row, have all your assessments, all of your evaluations that you have got done for your child and everything that has ever pertained and existed in your child's lifetime to be able to go to a different school in a different city or even just, you know, in a completely different area, different province. It's so important. I That is the one thing that I think people don't do. And it really ends up being just a kerfuffle in the end. Um, and it's so important. And I think it's something that not a lot of people realize that when they're moving or when they're switching schools or they're going from a Catholic school division to a public school division, um, that you need to have all of that stuff with you. And you need to make sure that the new school you're going to or new area has all the exact same documentation. Because if they do, that will only help and better your child's life. 
if they don't, you're going to have a hard time backpedaling and getting everything you need. It's better to have it before you switch over than try to scramble and get it later on. Absolutely. I also think writing SMART IEP goals is very important. And what I mean by that is making sure your present level of data shows what your child can do and what your child can't do. Also, when you are writing these goals to make sure the curriculum is outlined, to make sure the accommodations are outlined so that any person who picks up this document can read it and know exactly what is going on. Uh, my son, Jackson, yes, I, for example, Jackson can sit for 30 seconds before he needs a break. Jackson can read X amount of sight words. All of those things that are very black and white, plain, so that they can pick up your document and know exactly what your child's capabilities are and are not. And I know here a lot of families actually, and it's this is just another really great uh, tip and something that seems to really help um, in a classroom setting is that when you are moving or you go to another, you know, division, district, whatever it may be, you know, sometimes these IEPs are wrote kind of like in a in a magical code that not everybody can read or everybody can understand. And I know for a lot of families that I work directly with, a lot of them have their IEP. And also along with that IEP is uh, just a really, not even just a goal sheet that is included at the back, but also just about me. So it's all about your child. Everything from likes, dislikes, things that are not necessarily always included in IEPs where we are. It's just one extra piece of information that families write and that schools will include in with a file. And one thing that I've seen that has been very helpful is when there is a school that your child is attending and say they have a substitute teacher. That has came in handy along with, um, you know, if your child has a one-on-one -on -one EA and has a substitute EA for the day. I've seen lots of support staff EAs go and look and see, okay, what about this child? What about, you know, what do they like? What don't they like? Things like that. Um, it's really important to have everything in writing. I, I really can't emphasize it anymore that unless if you have it in writing, it either, you know, didn't happen or nobody knows about it. Just everything in writing and everything very black and white, like Amanda, you had said, and really basic. Sometimes I think we try to make IEPs so elaborate and just, they're intense. And sometimes I think some of the best IEPs are the ones that are basic to the point and really show where a child is at and how we can get them to be at the next point. Right. I also would add to this that we have that about me sheet in our IEP. It's also in the front page of Jackson's school to home communication book that we also have written into the IEP so that no matter who is writing a note home, if it's OT, if it's speech, if it's the aide, if it's the teacher, 
it's right on the front of his book and also so they can take it and make copies whenever they need those like you said if there's going to be a substitute teacher or a substitute one-on-one aid and we included in there what his motivators are what his strengths are what his weaknesses are and what some of his trigger points are so that everyone is very aware of the most top priority things to help Jackson have a successful day. Our second question was, can the district deny my child a one-to-one aid due to staffing issues? Well, I really think that, you know, it's obviously dependent where you live, but I will speak about where we live in Saskatchewan. And the reality of it is you need to know, um, you need to know why your child needs a one-on-one EA. And not only you need to know why, but you need to be able to explain that. Why do you think your child needs a one-on-one EA? And then you need to also be able to be open and understanding and willing to hear whatever the support staff, school, division, principal, whoever it may be, say that your child doesn't need one. There there has to be a line of communication around the topic of one-on-one EAs because for an example, my son Avery, who is diagnosed on the severe end of the spectrum, who is non-verbal, he needs a one-on-one EA because he is a flight risk. He is a runner. He has aggressive outbursts and meltdowns that put himself in harm's way and sometimes other children, depending on the situation. So to have that one-on-one EA support with him in the school setting and also outside for recess and all of the things is very helpful and supportive, uh, you know, for him so he is able to grow and develop and make friendships and communicate to the best of his ability with rest of the students um, in his school environment. So that's really important for him. But for say another child, they might not have that same reason or that same why to why they need a one-on-one EA. And I think sometimes people get confused when we're talking about special needs and and children on that are on the spectrum and children with autism, not every child needs a one-on-one. Not every child does. There's a lot that do, but not everyone needs one. And it's about, you know, really deciding if that child would benefit from having a one-on-one all day. I, I know there's children in our, you know, on caseloads that I'm on and then also in our, you know, local area that have an EA that is one-on-one, but not for a full day, just at points of the day that they need the most support, which looks completely different from our son, which is during transitions, during, you know, going from, you know, an assembly that the school had back to the classroom, whatever it may be. But everybody has a different reason to have an EA, and especially when we're talking about one-on-ones. And I don't think that, you know, everybody needs one. It's really based on the the person's, you know, the child's situation 
and what they are gaining from having that one-on-one EA. I will also say I've dealt with um, IEP clients where a one to two was a better fit. So if your child Mm -hmm. and another child in their classroom both need some support, but not full support, a one to two might be more appropriate. However, in the United States, um, under IDEA, um, we can't say it's because of finances. We can't say no because of staffing. So we really need to make sure that we have data to support the need and the why for the one-to-one support or the one-to-two support. Um, And also if the district is meeting you with a no, we need to have their reasoning for denial in writing and also ask what the qualifications for a yes are so that we know when we need to reconvene if the answer is a no right now. See, and I think that's where uh, the differences um, kind of fluctuate between where you are and then where we are um, when we talk about if it's legal, if it's not, things like that. Which um, and talking which, about which neither one know, of it, us are lawyers. We're not giving legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the things we are not lawyers at, by any means. Um, that it's one of those things you know if you feel like and this is my advocacy talking very loudly if you feel like your child needs something and needs to be supported and they are not getting supported you know use your voice fight for your kid advocate and for have, your kid speak and up have for your data kid. to support your decision don't say yeah. i think don't say i feel the data shows yeah. taking the emotion out of advocating and saying the data shows then they cannot argue about yeah. we feel we think it's all based on data it's very black and white that way yeah so question number three does modified general education services need to be written into an iep for a virtual student so here what Um, we have been doing with my clients is writing amendments for virtual learning, not actually modifying the IEP itself, and also writing a timeline. These general education times and accommodations are being used during virtual learning. As soon as we are back to in-person learning, the IEP will remain. What I will say is inclusion time needs to be student-centered It should also be a meaningful experience in an area of their strength. We don't want to throw a child into a virtual experience in a subject that is already stressful with Zoom or Google Classroom or whatever platform you're using as an added stressor. So while we're all trying to navigate this virtual world, we need to look at where your child's strengths are and allow that time to be the time they spend with their general education classmates. Now, Katie, because Canada is a little bit different, can you give some advice for parents who may be seeing virtual learning popping up as that is becoming more common? You know, really, the advice that I have about that is that if you're right now not doing virtual learning, you know, when your child is in the classroom, I would be interested to see how they're doing just with all the changes and everything in schools right now. How are they doing? But for the ones that are doing virtual learning, you know, 
there are some children that I and families I'm very close with that are doing amazing like just wonderful and then there's others that are are having a hard time with it because they need that physical connection and and just repetition and schedule and all of the things um that they had before that zoom you know um microsoft teams things like that that we're using as a education platform right now uh through social media and stuff to educate students um i'm finding that kids that are on the spectrum or special needs or needs you know something modified and they're doing that it's it seems to be going well for some and and a struggle for others but the ones that are maybe thinking about going to virtual learning you know i want to say be kind to yourself there is this idea that when you go and it might just be here but this is you know talking from where we live this idea that you know our kids have to reach this mark this certain you know level this standard while we virtually learn zoom all of the things and nobody's ever really said it we just have this idea as parents that they need to be doing so many things through a computer to learn and for a lot of our kiddos that's very very hard I know for us adults even myself for you know the few meetings I have throughout the week staring at a screen talking through a screen it's draining and it's a lot so for our kids that really need to be supported every day or multiple times throughout the day and and or once a week whatever it may be you know we need to be kind to ourselves as parents and also you know realize that our kids are trying and working so hard and that if you're debating about coming into virtual learning this this school year next year whatever you're deciding make sure you have an idea of how you want that to look like what what are you expecting as a parent and then what are you expecting from your school team how are they going to support you in a new type of platform and way through a computer what is that going to look like and you know is your child going to grow and develop and benefit more going through a screen than being in a classroom it really comes down to a personal decision i know there are so many families that have absolutely enjoyed virtual learning and and zooms and everything and then there's some other families that haven't but it's something definitely different and i think this year it has definitely been a learning experience not only for parents that have children with you know uh modifications on ieps um or just even kids that need just a little bit of support and maybe don't even have an iep yet it's a new experience it is something that we are all learning together we are all navigating together and we are all trying our very best and to give ourselves a little bit of grace while we do this i think is important. i think it's important to establish an open line of communication with your team whether you're in person virtual hybrid because your student's teacher your child's teacher only knows as much as you tell them 
um, if you're completely virtual. So having that open line of communication saying, we're having a really hard time logging on for X amount of time. We need to take a couple wiggle breaks in between. Just being honest with them and open with them, I think can help set you up for better success, number one. Number two, you have to understand that your child's teacher is not hiding from you if you send an email and it's not being answered. If you don't know what her preferred method of communication is, that may be an email account that never gets checked. So reach out to them so that you know if they prefer a call or a text or an email address that isn't listed on the school's website so that that open communication can stay positive instead of lying flat. I kind of want to expand on what you just said there. I, I think you hit, just really explained it well, but you know, the thing is, is that I see so many families struggling with not even just when we're talking about Zooms and, and virtual learning, but see are really just even struggling with their children going to school and they won't say a thing. They won't say anything. They won't say anything for months. They will let their, you know, their child struggle in an environment or a situation or, you know, with a subject or whatever it may be. And they won't say anything until we get to an IEP meeting or until, you know, there's a crisis meeting called or, you know, something like that. I think it's important for, parents to know that they are allowed to bring things up before a meeting before you know don't let something go if something happened to your child or you're struggling with something or you don't like how something's going in September don't wait till the end of November yes, to bring it up you you as the parents have to take charge and and really communicate and reach out to your team whoever is on your team you have to reach out to them and utilize them and say okay guys it's not going well or you know just be honest be real because the more real you are and the more honest you are about your child's development growth um supports that they need you know things that they're struggling with the better outcome you are going to have Yes, in a school and not year. everything has to be a formal, every person at the table IEP meeting. Like Katie said, if they're struggling, that might be something that can be discussed over the phone, followed up with an email and writing, and a decision can be made that way. Not everything has to be these stressful, you know, board meeting style meetings to help your child stay on track, to stay progressing, to stay in a positive atmosphere. Okay, question number four, which is our last question for this evening was, what are typical minutes offered for therapy services in the IEP? And I think a lot of parents see um, copy and pasted therapy minutes in their IEPs. I know that I do with clients. And I think that's why this question comes up. And I just wanna say for me in the United States, anytime a blanket statement is used, such as typically what we offer, the IEP is no longer being used to meet your child's unique needs. Therapy minutes should reflect the support needed to meet your child's unique needs. So um, we don't have the funding for that. This is what we typically do. Um, staffing may be an issue. Those are all red flag statements for me as an IEP coach. That is a blanket statement. 
your child's unique needs need to be met by this IEP. So those are not acceptable statements for me at the table. Katie, what do you have? No, you know what? We've, there's so many families that we, this question has been brought up and it's been discussed and, and how do we get around it and how do we kind of fix it? But, you know, here where we live, we live in Saskatchewan and really there's this idea that when you get your child diagnosed and when they start going to school, everything is amazing. It is, it is amazing. It is wonderful. It is spectacular. Your kid will start school and they will get all of the things. They will get speech. They will get OT. They will get endless hours of it. And everybody's the same. Everybody gets this endless amount of support. So families have this idea and that's just not true. They, they don't get endless amount of support. And, and I want to use our family as an example with our oldest son, Avery, who is on the severe end of the spectrum. Avery got hardly anything in a whole entire school year. He got maybe like six hours in an entire school year of speech. And that would be pushing it. So, you know, and we pushed and we advocated and we, you know, really fought hard for him to get more. And the thing is, there is no standard number here where we live. You know, not everybody gets the same and not everybody gets the correct amount. And and not to say a number is attached to what, you know, I'm not really saying that. I'm saying that, you know, for our family and our journey and our story and our life with Avery, you know, he really needs a few more hours than you know six hours an entire school year he needs to be you know seeing speech maybe an hour every week but the reality of it is there is so many kids that are on the spectrum or that have you know something else they need to be supported with and and helped and just they need they need somebody in their corner that there is not enough professionals and not enough support staff to help everybody so it doesn't matter here if you have a child that is on the severe end of the spectrum or you have a child that just needs a little bit of help the support and the help and the resources and the therapy and all of that is very much not great here. So it's really hard when you see these kind of copied and paste numbers that, you know, go into documents, IEPs, forms, things that we have came across with our own family and then other people um, and and their kids and, and journey and everything else. And people have this idea that they, you know, well, so-and-so, you know, Betty down the street is getting, you know, her son, Johnny there is getting 40 hours and we're over here getting six. Well, no, that was just probably copy and pasted and, and they're not getting 40 hours. But um, it's really hard, like, because there's no number. There's there's no magic number. There's no, there's none of that. But you have to go off of what your child needs. And, and the best way I want to say to maybe navigate that whole situation is 
how was your child doing when they were receiving more support? So for our family, that is kind of the example. When Avery was really little, he would have been like probably about three-ish, going to turn four. You know, we had seen speech therapy a little bit more. So he was getting a concept and um, an idea and an understanding around communication and around words and recognizing, you know, PEX cards, things like that, because he was consistently being supported in, you know, therapy surrounding speech. And then once he got older and got into the school system, especially kindergarten, that went away. So then, you know, he started to lose those skills of being able to recognize a PEX card being able to, you know, communicate when someone said hello to him, he wasn't recognizing it and started to lose some of the things that we worked so hard with. So that is why it's so important that kids get a level of consistency and not necessarily hours like this, this, you know, number and the number is going of hours is going to fix it all. Your kids just need consistency. And if consistency and the amount of support they need means that they go to therapy, be it ABA, be it OT, whatever it may be, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, once every month, whatever it may be, every child has different needs and different, you know, support they need. And it's important to recognize that. So a lot of the data that we use to support therapy minutes in our IEPs is based on are there budding skills? Have we seen a regression due to um, a school break or you know pandemic schooling where we were all at home? And also for um, the, some of the therapists I understand are only in the buildings a limited amount of time, then if we can benefit from some more time, there may be two or three other children who can also benefit from a little bit more time. So in addition to X amount of time on one-on-one, let's also have a small group time where all of these kids are getting some extra therapy minutes, but they're also able to work on waiting, taking turns, using conversational speech. Um, There are ways, creative ways, to help accommodate your child without it being pull time, pull time, pull time out of the classroom when you really do want them to also be with their peers. That is the goal here. So I think using data to support that, but also creative solutions is a better uh, answer than what are typical minutes offered because that should never be the statement that you're hearing at the table. So Katie, I think Q&A was super successful and I think that doing another one might be really beneficial. So um, if any of our listeners would like to have some more IEP questions answered, because clearly Katie and I are very passionate about this, we got a little loud, I think, um, answering this over excitement, then we would love to do this again in the next month or so. What do you think, Katie? I think that would just be amazing. There's you know, the variety and just the questions that are being asked are not only really fun to answer, but I feel like both of us have something to offer and something to talk about, especially since you are in the United States and I'm up here in Canada. And we just have this, 
you know, vast amount of knowledge and just this joy and love to uh, and spread I think with really, everybody who's listening. We just skimmed uh, the surface here. This was not all encompassing of the IEP. That would be hours and hours and hours of podcast time, but doing these Q&As I think is going to be really beneficial to give people little blurbs that are helpful. So if any of our viewers or listeners have questions that they would like answered, please submit those and we will do another question and answer um, in the next month or so. But that is it for today. That is uh, our first official podcast episode. We are so thankful for those of you who are here. So Katie, can you remind everybody one more time where they can find you on social media in between episodes? We have a Facebook page called uh, Journey for Avery. And then also you can actually just find us on Instagram. I have an account on there and it's just Katie MD. Perfect. And then for those of you who would like to catch up with me in between episodes on Facebook, I am Jackson's Journey, Jackson's Voice. And also Advocate Out Loud, Amanda DeLuca is my page dedicated to advocacy. On Instagram, I am Jackson's Journey, Jackson's Voice, and also Amanda DeLuca. So thank you all so much for joining us for episode two. It has been such a pleasure to talk IEPs with you, and we look forward to seeing you all next week.